Hello everyone, and this is Season 2, Episode 2 of Going Beyond Salvation, and I'm your host, Jess Robinson, and continuing on, we kind of end Leviticus with starting about talking about clean and unclean food, and we pick up where he talks about you know, living creatures living in the water, the seas, you know, that they could eat. They could eat any that have fins and scales, for example, fish, you know, like, like salmon, if there was salmon around there, you know, they couldn't have things that didn't have fins or scales. So for example, octopus, they couldn't have octopus, they couldn't have calamari, because it doesn't have fins and it doesn't have scales. And so back then, you know, yes, they couldn't have like some sushi, you know, if sushi was around, you know, they couldn't have some of the sushi that, you know, most people eat today. Which, yeah, you do have to think about it in, in a way that sometimes some forms of seafood is very dangerous to eat. You know, they, they couldn't eat crab, but, you know, you have to be careful, you know, when preparing seafood because you can get really sick. So the Lord was in a way protecting them in, in all of that. And he was also separating them from the people that, of the other nations, which they, they ate that kind of stuff. So he was separating them. And then, you know, he talks about birds, you know, they could have chickens but think about chickens, what chickens eat, and generally. But they couldn't have an eagle, a vulture, the black vulture, the red kite of any kind, the black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the gray owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, and a bird that I don't even know how to pronounce. It's like hoopo and the bat. Which is weird that bat got put in with birds. Because I, if I remember right, they're, they're a different area. But they're in a different species. But when you think about it, a lot of these birds, they're, you know, birds of prey. You know, such as... You know, they're raptors, they eat other animals. Or like you've got the owls, the screech owls. If you know anything about owls, they eat mice whole and then they, they like throw up the bones and the fur. They have like, which I remember in high school in my, one of my science classes, we actually had to, you know, dissect what owl pellets and we had to put together some kind of creature out of like we had to identify like the different bones of the creature that you know that was eaten by a chart and then we were supposed to make our own little creature out of the bones (laughs) our own make-believe creature out of the bones that we got but anyway you know I'm digressing here but they generally eat another creature. They eat another animal. Or, you know, they 
like ravens and, and crows, they are, uh, they're scavengers in a way. They eat dead stuff. They eat things that are unclean. And God was associating death as unclean. So you have to think about what God was doing and, and all of that. And, and this day, you know, you can't eat an eagle. You can't eat vultures. And a lot of these you can't eat because they're actually protected, especially like here in the United States. The eagle's protected. So you can't eat them, but... Yeah, so then, you know, he talks about insects, which you wouldn't think, you know. I'm from the United States. I wouldn't think of eating insects in the first place, you know. But in countries, there are, you know, insects are a staple, you know, such as grasshoppers. Some of them have protein, so... Other countries will do it. And so he, and he did say they could eat locust, katydid, cricket, or grasshopper. They could have those. And what he also, you know, when if they came across the carcasses of, of these animals that were unclean, even, I think even those that are clean too, they are they were considered unclean if they touched them. And it was because, you know, think about it for san sanitary purposes. And it also, you know, there was a separation. They had to be separated and set apart. He also talks about those that moved around on the paws. They were unclean, you know, such as a bear, for example, a bear or even a lion was it considered unclean to this people to the to these people you couldn't eat a lion which you're going to see that that in the story of Samson he kills a lion but he eats out of the honey that is growing in the lion which made him unclean so You know, and he talks about the weasel, the rat, any kind of great lizard, the gecko, the the monitor lizard, the wall lizard, the, the skink and the chameleon. They weren't to eat those. You know, it's, you know, as, as I've said, you know, they were given for health reasons, but also as standards to help Israel remain a people separated from the ungodly society around them. And you're going to see that in the book of Daniel, the choices that Daniel makes food-wise, that he was going to continue to remain set apart, even in an ungodly culture. And, and so, I mean, these dietary instructions are no longer biting, binding on the New, New Testament believers. You can have sushi. You can have octopus. I've seen people have octopus. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> You can have crab, you can have lobster, you know, you can have those, you can have shrimp and all of that. So it's, you know, because Christ fulfilled their significance and purpose. But, you know, as Christians, when you think about this, you know, we have to distinguish ourselves from 
our surrounding society by eating and drinking and dressing so as to honor God, you know, with our bodies. And so, you know, you have to be careful what you eat and drink, you know, don't be drinking a bunch of alcohol and getting drunk. And, you know, don't eat, you know, it's, and thinking about like what you eat too. And, and this is what I have to say, because people think, well, Christians, you know, you're, you're going to heaven, you don't have to worry about what you eat. Yeah, we do. You know, we still need to eat healthy. So, you know, for, I like eating salmon because it's healthy, you know, so I still eat fish with fins and scales, you know, I have salmon. I, that's my favorite is salmon more than any other fish so far. I actually do like tilapia. That's probably number two, uh, cause it's not as fishy, but you know, we have to watch what we eat. We eat fruits and vegetables, you know, we need to eat, we need to exercise, take care of our bodies because it is a holy temple to the Lord. And if you're not eating healthy, you're not going to be performing to the ability that the Lord wants you to do. You're not going to have the energy to witness to people or you can put yourself into, you know, such as diabetes and heart attacks, you know, and then you're not witnessing for the Lord. You know, you have to take care of yourself. So, you know, that's what I have to say about it today. And that we're, you know, we have to, when there's unholy social customs that maybe somebody's doing with a certain food, then we should avoid it. We need to avoid it if it's going to be a stumbling block in our relationship with the Lord. And what I like to say, too, is, you know, if you're witnessing to somebody who's a vegetarian, don't make them feel uncomfortable, you know, unless they're okay with you. Like, they're not going to, like, throw up or anything if you're eating meat in front of them. But if they don't feel comfortable about it, you know, you need to be Christ-like and say, well, okay, I'll have a salad with you or whatever. You know, be respectful because... If you're witnessing, you know, we have to be Christ-like in every way. And that means even if somebody, you know, who, who chooses to be a vegetarian, chooses to be a vegetarian, be respectful in that area. And, you know, most vegetarians that I know are actually, they don't care what I order off the menu because they're respectful of my choice. And I've never had that problem, but I still respect their choice and don't make fun of them about it. So, then we go into chapter 12, and it's talking about purification after childbirth. And, you know, and and I want to just say, yes, you know, parenthood, God has, has given husband and wife to, to start a family. And I just, I, I, I you know, want to say this, that, you know, if you feel called to having a family have a family, you know, and I know most Christian parents, they're very strategic about when they have kids, you know, they pray about it and, and let the Lord, you know, guide them when they have kids, you know, 
and I'm not against kids personally. I, I, I minister to kids. I minister to teenagers. I just want to say, you know, there are people out there that they take this whole thing and they say, well, you have to have kids. And it's like, you have to be careful because there are people out there that can, cannot have kids. For one thing, there are people that can't. And most of them, you know, that do desire to have kids, they end up turning around and adopting, you know, other children that don't have a mom and dad. And and the Lord blesses them that way. Many end up fostering, being foster parents to those who who grew up in a, in, in a home that didn't care for them, you know. There's that. And then there are people that just don't feel called to having kids. And I, I'm going to admit that me and my husband, we've never had that calling to have kids. You know, we're, you know, we, and I never had it even before I I was saved. I never really had that desire to be a parent. But you know, it doesn't mean that the Lord hasn't used me, even though I don't have kids. And there are people out there that are very, very rude when, when you say that you're not going to have kids. They're very rude about it because there's this stigma that you're supposed to have kids. And... You know, my thing about it is, is I want to have peace about it and pray about it and, you know, let the Lord direct us. And if we're not supposed to have kids because the Lord is, you know, putting us in a place where a, a family that has kids can't minister in, then, then I need, you know, to be respectful of the Lord's calling in my life. And, you know, and there's reasons why people choose not to have kids. You know, I know of people that, especially, you know, I, I know of a couple, they chose not to have kids because the husband was in Vietnam and he was, he was exposed to Agent Orange. And there's a lot that complications with Agent Orange and... They just made the decision not to. Did the Lord not use them? Are they going to hell? No. They're Christian believers. And you know, later on in life, the Lord gave them somebody to foster that was coming from a bad home. And they they adopted this person. And that's that's their child, you know, and you didn't you wouldn't even know that that child's adopted. You wouldn't even think it, you know, and there's some that they just can't have kids. You know, there's, I wouldn't judge people because you wouldn't, you don't know their choices. Why, why they don't want kids, you know, and, you know, for me and my husband, it's just, we have a, we have felt a calling that is different than bringing kids in our own kids into the world. We have felt a different calling and it feels like the Lord is leading us to somewhere else. And, you know, it's, it's not saying that I don't like kids. You know, if I didn't like kids, I wouldn't be a youth group leader. I wouldn't be ministering to little kids. 
you know, it's, it's more of, I have felt the Lord say, I have something else for you. And yes, I had somebody prophesy over me that I was going to be a mother to many. And it made me panic because I was like, I'm not feeling it. And, you know, I had to let that go to the Lord. And what ended up happening was the Lord reminded me a couple of months ago when I was, you know, working with the kids and it was the Lord speaking to me saying, I had different idea of mother of many than what you were thinking. And it's more that, you know, there are kids out there these days that don't have a mom, that don't have a dad. We need, you know, these kids in this younger generation that's being raised up, look at how many are in single parent household. There's nothing against single parents, but kids need a mother and a father. So I'm there to fulfill a role that some kid may not have, you know, especially spiritually, you know, I, there's kids that their family is not following the Lord, but they're coming to youth group and they're choosing to, to turn their life over to the Lord, you know, and it's like, they need a spiritual mother and father. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's the role that I'm happy with in my life. And, you know, and it's still sad because there are people and, it, and it's not that me that gets attacked more. It's actually my husband that gets attacked more. They treat, there's a lot of people that treat my husband as if he's on or he's selfish. And it's like, we've prayed about it. We have thought about it. And the Lord is just calling us. And there have been people when we, and you know, there's been people on the other end that have been very supportive. And then when they're like praying, they're like, well, yeah, we're thinking the Lord has something for you too that you're going to go somewhere that, a, you know, a family can't go into. And so I don't know, you know, whatever the Lord has for us, the Lord has for us. And we're just leaving that open. And I'm happy and content being that, that spiritual mother that somebody may not have. And being that influence that somebody may not have. And because of that, you know, I am open, you know, I you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more, you know, I'm trying to be careful, you know, cause I know there's people that have kids and they're going to take offense, but it's like, yes, I do have that ability that I'm not as distracted and I'm not saying kids are a distraction, but I do see that, you know, they do need care. They need, you know, a lot of devotion and the Lord has said, no, I need you to focus here, you know? So, and I don't have that. So I just want to say, you know, with this, that yes, the Lord, you know, has husbands and wives, you know, and that he desires families, he desires kids. But there are people that, you know, and so I just, that don't end up having kids. Please don't judge them. Please do not judge them. Please be careful what you say. And please don't push. <laughs> when there is a decision, and especially if they have thought about it clearly and they have prayed about it, your opinion is not going to change that person. 
You pushing them is not going to change that person. It's going to actually drive them further away. And that has happened to us several times that people have said, well, we need more kids in, in the church. We need, you know, and treating us like we're selfish. And it's just like, I'm not selfish. I've prayed about this. I have thought about it. And the Lord is like, I just have this feeling like the Lord has something different for me and my husband. And, and, you know, and I look at this and I go, you know, I look at the kids that I serve on Wednesday and I go, you know what, this is what the Lord wants me to do. And, and I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. So please do not say that I'm, that I'm selfish and, and all of that. I'm not. I'm going to be honest about that. I've checked my heart in that area so many times. And, and it comes out that I'm not. <laughs> and so please, just don't push people. You know, you just don't know their choices. They don't know. You don't know their reasons. And just pushing people is just, I, I find it ignorant, you know, a lot of times when people push and say stuff like, you know, and, and I understand, you know, when you do become a parent, there is a special love that, that is formed, you know, that they have towards a child. And yeah, I don't, but you know, I have a love for the kids that I serve and, you know, and my whole attitude was, you know, like I had a youth you know, group kid that went to the hospital this week and I was sitting there. I was about ready to clock out of work and say, I need to go check on my youth group kid. I'm going to drive an hour and go back to Powell and go check on my youth group kid and pray with them if they need prayer. I'm not. That was my first instinct was and, you know, and I've I've caught myself because I'm getting very defensive. It happened a couple months ago when I found something out going something going on at my workplace or well not directly at my workplace there's three different locations and it deals with somebody at another location and I was not happy finding out what this person is doing and they were you know they're going in their covering sports with kids and I sat there and I said I don't feel comfortable and they said, why? And I said, because I have several kids that go to that school that are in my youth group. And I am going to be Mother Bear. And you, if he does anything to any of my kids, you know, and people said, well, you're, you're judging this person. And I was like, I'm not judging them. I know the facts behind what this person's doing. And I just sat there and I said, I said, if he tries to hurt one of my, my sheep, my kids. I was like, I mother bear will come out <laughs> and I don't mind finding another job. <laughs> and so now, you know, that person really isn't covering the, the schools anymore <laughs> since I kind of put my foot down and just said, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Because I have the facts behind this. And so, 
I just want to say, no, you know, I have that instinct with these kids that I have that they, you know, because they don't have that support, that family support that a lot of kids, you know, that I had when I was little, you know, when I was young, I had a mother and father there for me, you know, all the way through these kids you know, sometimes don't have a father, so they don't have a mother, they're in the foster system, you know, they need that person. And so that's where I'm at. That's where I stand in the gap, you know, and I'm happy with that and, and all of that. I'm just happy with it. And I just want to say, you know, I've had people try to push me and, and, it gets tiring, you know, when people push you and, and all of that. And they just don't understand. They don't understand the situation. And I think they need to. I think they really need to start thinking about, you know, and a lot of it is just an old stigma that happened. You know, you get married, you have kids, Yada, yada, yada. Because, like, it was hard, too, when we got married. Because, and in, and I've seen that with so many couples. Even the couples who want kids. is It's like, you're not even past the first week that you're married. And they say, oh, when, you know, are you having kids yet? No. <laughs> you know, I know, like, you know, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they waited several years to have their first child. And it, you know, it was a time where they built their relationship together and they they were also said you know saving up to get a home so they could have a child they were that's what they were doing they were preparing their home and I don't judge them and there was a lot of people that was just pushing them you need to have kids you need to have kids you know they waited for the perfect time and you know I see them now and they have they have their little boy and they're happy, you know, it, it worked out perfectly and they have their little boy, they have a home, they, you know, they have a strong relationship together as husband and wife. There's nothing wrong with that. If you get married and you want to have kids, but you want to wait and establish your relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's, amazing that you guys want to work on, you know, if a couple wants to work on their relationship before they bring a child, that's amazing. You know, kudos to them, you know? So it's, you know, just leave it to the couple. Don't push them. Don't push them, you know, at all. Just don't. (laughs) That's all I want to say is just don't. So anyway, continuing back on to to chapter 12 here, he also, you know, there was guidelines for what happened after, you know, a baby was born. And what it was is these discharges associated with the childbirth had to be treated as unclean, you know, and, and yeah, you know, there's things could happen. There's complications. You have to think about those days and times. And so, and, you know, it's just being associated with unclean, uncleanliness and and sin. 
It's not that the child is bad. Granted, as they get older, you know, they're they're born with with sin nature. But as they get older, and it's a thing for parents, you know, to when they're born, and it's not just parents, but it's a church as well that to raise the kids up to accept the Lord and Savior. And I know, you know, as a kid's church leader for years, we were always careful about salvation, call of salvation. It, And you knew when a kid wanted to be saved because you could see it in their demeanor, how they acted, the questions that they would ask. You just knew when it when a kid wanted to ask for salvation and that's when you go for it otherwise you'll just ask and a lot of times they just raise their hands because they just want to raise their hands so you just have to watch and and all of that but as they get older you know you just want to pray and and disciple them and everything at a young age to where they make that decision on their own I'm going to follow Jesus and and living, having that foundation yourself, and because your kids are going to watch you. And if you're in your Bible, and you're praying, and you're worshiping, and you're going to church, you're tithing, your kids are going to follow you in that area. And if they don't, you'll just be praying for them and still loving them with an unconditional love, just as God loves us with an unconditional love. And so, you know, they had to set up, you know, what, you know, a a time of purification for the mother. And when her purification was over, she had to go to the priest and present the child and present an offering. And you will see that this happens with Jesus because Mary and Joseph do the same thing when her time of purification was over she took Jesus to the temple you'll see that in the book of Luke and we'll kind of refer back to that when we get to there so then finally in chapter 13 it starts talking about infectious skin diseases he was even giving guidelines about how to handle you know skin diseases sickness how to handle things he was a caring father that was trying to help them to understand how this goes what is unclean what is clean you know so that they're not making a determination on their own he was there to guide and direct them and because you know the this and you know skin diseases is not of god it is a result of sin you know of sin in the fallen world you know and and it's not saying that the person sinned and got this infectious disease. You know, they could have, but not everyone was that way, you know. And But the Lord had to set apart what was holy and unholy and how to handle these things. And so that's pretty much as we get into chapter 13, what he's talking about and, and what we'll continue to talk about and how to handle, and we're going to see like how to handle homes and and. And all of that. So that's pretty much it for Leviticus today. (laughs) 
Okay, so we are back from the brief pause. I actually had to take a brief break because my CPA was calling. So, um, what is continuing on? We're, we're going into Psalm 29. And this one is just, it's really neat. You know, it's, David just had this heart to worship and glorify Lord, the Lord. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord and it was about glorifying the Lord all, you know, in, in everything and giving, you know, glory and what was due to the Lord, you know, and to worship. He just had this heart to worship the Lord and, and to know him on a deeper level. And he just has this, when he's writing Psalm 29, it's just, it's about, you know, he talks about the voice of the Lord and there's such power. Like it just talks about how powerful God is that, you know, his voice is, is Lord over the waters, you know, and it thunders and that it's powerful. It's majestic. And that, you know, it just has such strong power and, and it, it's to the point that people cry out glory. And we're going to see too, that even the angels, like they, they cover every, their eyes and their hands, they, they're covering themselves and, and saying, you know, glory and, and that the Lord is holy. And so there's such this power to Lord into the Lord. And, and then, you know, he talks about that the writes about that the Lord is enthroned over the flood and, and is enthroned as king forever and that he gives strength to his people and blesses his people with peace, which is true. The Lord is, is, you know, you know, when it's the Lord, because it's peace, there's peace. He's not, he doesn't bring confusion. He doesn't bring strife or fear, you know, like the anxiety kind of fear. It's, it's peace. You know, he's, he's a God of peace that is beyond all understanding. And so that's the amazing part of the Lord. And so, uh, continuing on. So going into Mark in the book of Mark, we're going to finish chapter one. And I just wanted to point out that uh, after Capernaum, they go back to Beth Bethsaida, which is the hometown of four Christ disciples. And we also see Simon Peter's mother-in-law is cured for a fever, just as uh, the book of Matthew has. And then uh, they talk about that the sick is being brought to him. And I was actually reading researching into this and in another study Bible. And it was actually really interesting that by law at the time, the people, um, people with certain types of sicknesses, you know, as described in the book of Leviticus, they were not to be in public where the general population gathered. Uh, they were considered unclean, you know, as we've talked about. And this is why people, you know, we see in the book of Mark, and I don't know if it's in my, yeah, it says that evening. And it says in the, and I didn't really think about this until they said at evening, you know, this is why the people waited and when those that were 
considered clean, they would actually be at home and the unclean could be outside at that point. So, and the possessed were normally not seen in public as they could harm themselves. And the door in verse 33 was the door at Peter's house in Bethsaida. Bethsaida. And so what it is, is, you know, he, so this was really interesting. Like I did not realize it. So it was at late evening that they were, they were bringing the sick. So it was interesting to see that. And then we see in the morning, Jesus gets up and he leaves the house. He goes to a solitary place where he prays. So Jesus always, he set an example of prayer that he would go and set time out to be in prayer and petition with the Lord. So we see that and we see, uh, we see that Simon Peter and his companions, they go to look for him and, and they said, everyone's looking for you. And he tells them, let's go somewhere else so that he could preach there. And that's why I have come. So they travel throughout Galilee. And then we go to the story of the man with leprosy. So continuing, I want to kind of back up a little bit too. People ask, well, how did the evil and unclean spirits know who Christ was if this was their first encounter with him? I just want to say Christ, we have to remember Christ pre-existed in the beginning with the Father. And that included when Satan, who, who's known as Lucifer, fell from heaven with a third of the angels. They would have known who Christ was. Because he's been there. He's been there the whole time. So that's that's something to answer if anybody ever asks you that question. So, and then going into verse 40 in the story of the leper, he is breaking the laws because he was not to be in public or to have any personal contact. And because he was considered ceremonially unclean. And it had to be hard to see that. And so you can see, you know, and it also forbade him to be anyone to touch him, including Christ. And so that's why you see this hesitant and uncertainty in him when he's asking Christ to cure him. And I think as believers, we get that way too, in our own struggles, in our own, you know, you know, those who have addictions, those who are just even struggling with doubt, struggling with a healing, you know, they sit there and they wonder, well, does Christ really want to heal me? And Christ, we see, he takes the if out of, out of this man. He says, I will be thou clean, you know, be clean, you know, you're clean. And, and, you know, he takes the if out of the situation. And so if you're feeling like, you know, you're uncertain that, you know, Christ can forgive you of a sin that you've committed. If you're uncertain that he can free you from these bondages that you may have had or, or that he's, you know, if, if you're uncertain that he doesn't care about the situation you're in, 
he removes that if he does care about and know what you're going through. He does want to see you free from these bondages and he wants to see you healed. He wants and he is willing to forgive you of your sins, no matter what it is. If your heart is like turning in the right place and you want to be with him, he's going to forgive you. Period. There's nothing that, you know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, and then as we've talked before, you know, he tells him to go show himself. And we've talked about in previous podcasts with healing that, you know, so like the leper, he, the Mosaic law required proof of a cure, you know, as we've talked about. In, in the book of Leviticus. And so that's kind of neat that you're kind of seeing this stuff kind of all come together. And and it's becoming reality of what, what was going on. He was still following the law and saying, hey, go to the priest, show yourself clean. Because it required proof and that he had to do the sacrifice because Christ hadn't died yet. And it's the same with, and I tell people, you know, who receive a healing, go get proof that you were healed. And so that, you know, there's no, you know, shred of doubt about it. You know, you go and you get the diet. And that's why I tell people too, you know, because so many people have a struggle with going and getting a diagnosis. It's like, go get a diagnosis because one, we're going to know what for sure to pray for. And then two, we just know, we just then, you know, when you're healed, it's like, there's no shred of doubt. There was this x-ray that shows this and <laughs> that you needed a healing. And then you've got this x-ray showing you're healed, you know, and that's the same thing. You know, I just tell people still show yourself to your doctor. One, if they're not a believer, then that's going to make them start thinking, you know, so because you'll have a testimony to say it was Jesus who healed me. So, but, you know, I know there's a bunch of doctors that there are Christians too, you know, they're believers and, and they're, and they get excited when they see miracles like this, because it, it just substantiates their, their faith saying, you know, we know, we believe in this God and, and that, you know, they get excited, but we see that he doesn't do that. He goes and, and he publishes it. And Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. And he went out into more open places. And it may seem odd. And I didn't really think about it until I was researching it. And they said, you know, some of this, you know, my sources were saying that because there were such crowds coming in, they were overrunning the towns and the cities. So the open deserted regions and hills allowed more people to gather in one location for ministry. And you'll actually see, I think when he gets out on the boat and he, and he's, he's teaching from the boat, they've actually found where he was teaching at. And it's really neat when you go out onto the water and it's been proven that you go out on the water a little ways. And then when he started talking, the way the hills and the landscape was in the water, it was an actual natural microphone for Jesus so that 
the crowds could hear him teach. And so Jesus even knew what he was doing when he was where he was picking the locations that he did. So that's an interesting thing. And and so that's pretty much it for today's podcast. Um, For the next one, uh, we're going to read Leviticus chapter 13, verse 24 through 14, verse 32. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 5. Proverbs 5, verses 5 through 6. And then Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 28. And I'll end in a prayer. And I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so willing. You take the if and the doubts out of our mind, oh, Lord Jesus. We just thank you that by your stripes we are healed. We thank you that your blood cleanses us of our sins. And that, Lord, we can come to you openly. We don't have to hesitate because you're there with wide open arms, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for as we look in in the book of Leviticus and as we read the New Testament, we're just seeing everything come together and having a deeper understanding. And so, Lord, I just praise you, God, for, for every word that is written in this book. And that, Lord, that it's your voice speaking to our hearts. And I just pray for a continued uh, guidance in our hearts, O Lord Jesus. And that you would just continue to reveal your word in our hearts. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm -hmm.